I do give honor to our great, our worthy God, brothers and sisters. I magnify Him and I'm grateful to Him for His goodness to us. And we do bless Him, Father, Son, and Spirit, for all His kindness. And certainly good to be with you. I appreciate the privilege to once again renew fellowship with you this side of the glory to be together for the third meeting from Sunday school through to 11 and then this evening at 5. We're thankful for the time and grateful to see each of you that are here and thankful to see as well visitors uh, Ruby and Junior Basham who were our host and hostess for last night and have been many times in the course of our sojourns in Alamance County since we left the area and it's good to see Sister Judy Basham. She hasn't been our host lately here but when we were up in Hillsville preached for the West Side Baptist Church there of which she was a member uh, she and her husband Sammy who went to be with the Lord in December they were often our host and hostess, and we appreciate them and their presence. It's just good to see each of you, my brothers and sisters. It's good to see Gail and Ronnie. I, I had to tell her and Ronnie this evening that I did not recognize her because the last time I saw her, she was masked and in the back. And I'm so glad for the good news God has given her concerning uh, the, as Brother Earl put it, that dreaded disease, that C word that we all fear and yet we know that God is able amen so we're very thankful and grateful to see each of you trust the Lord will bless our time around his word I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Ruth this evening this morning in the Sunday school hour we looked at the book of Judges chapter 17 and 18 as we did that we noted uh, one the first of two episodes that are found that in the book of Judges and that point out the uh, great need of Israel. We talked about the state of the union, distress. Uh, Mr. Leon Wood, an Old Testament Bible student of past generation, wrote a book on the book of Judges entitled The Distressing Days of the Judges. That's an appropriate name because they were days of distress for Israel. And I think in some measures we pointed out, not in a large way, this morning... Those days of the judges nationally for Israel maybe aren't a lot different from the present days we're seeing in our own society. And I'm not just speaking politically. I'm speaking of the fact that in the realm of spiritual things, there's a movement away from truth. There's a movement away from the Scriptures. There's a movement away from God as He presents Himself and reveals Himself in the Word. And and that being true, we stand in need of being aware of that and as well uh, being as God grants us as discerning as possible in regard to that. But then in the midst of that, even in those distressing days of the judges, there's still good news. God's at work. And that's interesting in our Bibles as we have them in our King James and other translations even in this uh, in our English Bibles. The book of Ruth comes right on the heels of the book of Judges. Especially after those chapters, five very dark, bleak chapters that talk about the sad events that marked the days of the Judges. And then we read about the things that God was doing even behind the scenes in the book of Ruth. I want us to think together about the book of Ruth this evening then. And as we would read, I'd ask you to join with me in reading Ruth chapter 1 verses 1 through 5 at the outset. But in doing that, I'd also like to add the last verse of Judges so we can kind of get a picture as we 
segue into Ruth chapter 1, verse 25 of Judges 21, we read these words. In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife Naomi and the name of his two sons Malin and Kilian, Ephrathites of Bethlehem Judah and they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left, and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Malin and Kilian died, also both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. We'll stop there for now in our reading, but we'd like to, if the Lord will, just kind of run through this book of Ruth and see how God unfolded what seemed to be a horrible reversal for Naomi, and yet He was at work. And you and I, I think, need to keep that before us because sometimes we tend to forget. I'm afraid I have to say it doesn't take much sometimes to make me to forget in what seems to be a circumstance I wouldn't choose that God is nevertheless working, orchestrating, and accomplishing His will for His glory and for our good. Let's pray and ask His blessing on His Word. Father, we bow before You in the name of Thy Son. Father, as I come in the worthy name of our Savior, the Lord of glory, the Prince of glory, the One who died on that cross, and we stand amazed when we survey that wondrous cross. Thank You, Father, for the precious blood of the Lord Jesus. We thank You, Father, for the privilege of gathering in His name with Thy people tonight. We ask You, Father, that You would grant Your Word to be a benefit to our souls tonight as well as to the glory of Your name. Father, I ask You to grant me Your help as we would seek to speak to Thy people. And Father, we would desire to see them benefited. We ask, Father, that You would grant our minds to be clear, our minds to be focused. And Father, as well, You would grant us to hear Your voice in Your Word. Father, I pray You'd do that now to the honor of Your Son, our Lord Jesus, in whose name we make our prayer. Amen. Well, as we look at these words of Ruth 1 that introduce the book, again, it's against the background of the book of Judges that we find these words. And if I could give you a title... I believe I would do this by way of a title. The King is Coming. The King is Coming. Now, in light of that title, you might think something beyond the book of Ruth, but the book of Ruth ends by providing us with the genealogy of King David. Because this woman Ruth, the Moabitess, is going to be wrapped into the genealogy of David the King. But you got to think a little beyond that, don't you? Because if she's wrapped into the genealogy of David the king, guess whose genealogy she's also wrapped into? Because who is the son of David? Who is the one who comes in the name of the Lord? Our Lord Jesus. And in Matthew 1, we find the name of Ruth, this Moabitess, this Moabitish woman. And she's wrapped into the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
in the great mercy of our God. And I, I, I love that thought and I, I rejoice in it. And so with that in view, I just give you that by way of a title, The King is Coming. Now I'm going to do something else by way of uh, what some would say is dangerous for a preacher. I'm going to give you my whole outline for Ruth. Now the danger of that is somebody can fall asleep, tune out, and then act like they heard the whole message, you know. Because they can act like point by point they were hung with you, you know. And some people sleep well in church so well that the preacher can't even detect it, you know. Or they say horses sleep standing up, you know. So some people can look like they're awake. I remember a deacon we had in the church Wednesday night. He'd come in from work and God bless him. I appreciated that. But he'd be tired and he'd fall asleep and I'd be in the middle of a potent point and he'd wake up and shake his head like he'd been listening all the time. <laughs> so uh, I don't want to give the opportunity to rest, but I do want to give you the outline. And I have to add as well, it's not stolen, but it is borrowed. Uh, Brother Paul, I know you knew Willie McNeil. And Brother Lawrence, you asked me about him from over there in Brawley, the Scotsman from Glasgow who spent the remainder of his life here after moving back, moving to the States from Scotland. Mr. McNeil gave what I believe is an excellent outline of Ruth. This is not his message, but it is his outline. I'd like to share it with you because to me it's a good will to roll the book of Ruth on. It focuses around something that is central to the book of Ruth, and that is the idea of the kinsman redeemer, what is known as the goel in Hebrew. That's the participial present tense form in the Hebrew language for that word, one who redeems. But he's also near of kin. And uh, Mr. McNeil, building around that thought that's so central to the book of Ruth, the Redeemer, used this as an outline. Chapter 1, returning to the Redeemer's fold. Chapter 2, reaping in the Redeemer's fields. Chapter 3, resting at the Redeemer's feet. Chapter 4, registered in the Redeemer's family. Now that's a great outline. But not only that, I'd say this, that dog will hunt. Because if you think about that outline, that is a story of salvation. That's the story of what God's grace does for sinners of Adam's race who have no right nor privilege really to get into His presence and yet He does so through a Redeemer and in doing that, like Ruth, who of a Moabitish background was not permitted according to the law to enter to the tenth generation. What that meant was forever. And yet she's enrolled in the family of the Lord Jesus Christ, His lineage, His family line. To me, it's an amazing story. And you know, I look at it, and as we used to say in the 70s, wow, I'll say it backwards, wow. <laughs> but I'd add this, it's amazing grace. That's what it is. The same kind of grace for you and me who know Him that reached out and lifted us up as well. The same kind of grace that took me part of a cursed people and made me blessed forever, eternally, in the Lord Jesus Christ, the King who came of David's line. Let's think about that outline then against the background of the book of Ruth and work our way through it as we've begun reading there verses 1-5. through five, We see the story. Famine comes to Israel. Famine is hit within Israel, Bethlehem, Judah. 
Of course, that will later become the home of our Lord. But Bethlehem in Judah was was hit. Why? Because as famine come, God had warned His people in Israel, in His Word, in the law, if you do not obey Me, then I'll not send the rain. Israel was dependent on rain for crops. Where they had been in captivity and bondage down in Egypt, they didn't rely on rain. They had the Nile and they would irrigate, as the Bible says, they dig with their foot and they'd water their crops. But they depended on rain in Palestine. They depended on rain in Canaan. And if they didn't have it, then famine would occur. And that's what's taken place. And it's because of the disobedience of God's people during the time of the judges, which God had warned them about again through Moses in the books of the law. They failed to obey. And so this man Elimelech, his name means, My God is King. But it seems he may have forgotten that because he goes to Moab. In the book of Psalms, Moab is called God's wash pot. God's wash basin. He goes to God's wash pot, and as he does, he, with his wife and two sons, settles there. But sometimes life doesn't turn out like we planned, does it? So Elimelech dies while he's there sojourning in Moab. And Ruth, excuse me, and Naomi's left with her sons. And while her son's there in Moab, they marry two Moabite women, Ruth one and Orpah the other. Malin marries Ruth. We don't see that here, but we see it later in chapter 4. Malin is said to be the one who was the husband of Ruth. They, they marry these women, and then they die. They die in Moab. And then Ruth has a good report that comes to her. Let's go to verse 6. That's the background of verses 1 through 5. Verse 6 says this, Then she arose, that is Naomi, with her daughter-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab Moab how the Lord had visited His people in giving them bread. So good news comes. I don't know how it reached Moab. Maybe somebody from Israel came in and told their other family, listen, come on back. Bread is now plentiful in... in, uh..." And by the way, remember what Bethlehem means. House of bread. Bethlehem. In Hebrew, lechem is the word for bread. God's given bread. Well, that's good that the house of bread has bread. Sometimes it seems the place you'd expect to find bread isn't a place where you find bread, is it? Sometimes people go to church expected to find bread for their soul and they don't find it. Something's wrong when the house of God doesn't have bread. There ought to be bread that nourishes God's people because the house of God ought to be a house of bread. And uh, by the way, there's no reason it shouldn't be because if it's centered on the right one, Jesus Christ, He is the bread that came down from heaven, isn't He? And so the living bread, Christ, is the one who can feed our souls. So it is that she hears this and she makes her purpose to go back home. And as she does that, she tells her two Moabitish daughters-in-law, you stay here. I have no promise of giving you husbands. There's no way if I, if I had a husband tonight and I could conceive a son or sons for you, would you wait for them till they're grown and, and, and then let them marry and have children? Oh, it, and, and here's how she expresses it. 
if you will. Notice how she says it, verse 13, as she summarizes what we just mentioned. Would you tarry for them till they were grown? Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. Notice that statement. Now, I want to say something here and I hope that the Lord will help me to say what I want to say tonight. But sometimes... You and I look, this is the way providence, I didn't mention providence a little while ago, I should have. Dr. McGee, some of y'all hear him on the Bible bus, I imagine, through the Bible radio on BBN. Dr. McGee has two books on Ruth one and Esther another. The one on Ruth, he entitles The Romance of Redemption. The one on Esther he entitles The Romance of Providence. Providence is God's governing all His creatures and all their actions. And He's able to do that because He's God on the throne. He governs, He rules what He made, and He rules all the actions of those He made. Now we can't sometimes put it all together because it's too big for us. But He's that big, and that's the good news. You and I can't figure it out because we're not big enough. He's able to do it because He is. And because of that, God overrules in all of life and rules over all of life. Now, what sadly it seems Naomi's doing here, and I don't want to throw any rocks at her, because I've not been where she's been, but I just make this observation. She says to her daughters, it grieveth me much, her daughters-in-law, it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And yet, Naomi doesn't know what lies ahead. It appears the Lord's hand may have gone out against her. But let me emphasize as our Greek professor, Dr. Ark, used to say when we'd not pronounce a Greek word right, he'd say, Ah, oh, Mr. Morris, you put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. <laughs> <laughs> and I put some emphasis here. It appears that the hand of the Lord's gone out against your grievous. But God's got other plans. Sometimes what you and I do when we look at God's actions in our lives, we look at God through the spectacles of our experience. But what I ought to be doing is looking at my experience through the spectacles of God. Can I make that any clearer? I hope I I made it clear enough, but Brother McGuire used to have a message. Some of y'all may remember it. Do you have 50-20 vision, he'd ask. Do you have not 20-20, but 50-20? And when he asked that, he was reflecting on Genesis 50-20. You remember it? Genesis 50? Joseph's brothers come to him after Jacob has died. And Joseph's brothers say, Joseph, Daddy said before he died, don't hold against your brothers all they did. And Joseph looked at him and said, what mean ye to break my heart? He said, all you did, you meant it. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And that's Genesis fifty twenty. And Brother McGuire would ask, "Do you have fifty twenty vision?" And brothers and sisters, I tell you right now, Naomi's forgot. She's lost fifty twenty vision. And sometimes you and I sadly do the same thing. 
we, we look at God's dealings with us and we fail to remember what Romans 8.28 says. And I like the way Romans 8.28 begins because sometimes we misquote Romans 8.28. We quote it and we say this, All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. But that's not the verse. It begins, And we know that all things work together. Oh! That's what I need. I don't just need the promise. I remember to say, David Morris, you ought to know that all things work together for good. I'm glad they do, but I'm glad when I can say, and we know. Because brothers and sisters, that's what can give us hope and assurance when the boat of life is rocking on the storm of the sea. And we forget who's riding with us. You remember the scene in the Gospels, don't you? He got on board ship and he fell asleep. Why? Because he had said, let us go to the other side. Now let me give you a little hint. When Jesus says, let us go to the other side, guess where you're going, child of God? Did you figure that one out? Don't take a degree. Don't take a rocket When Jesus said, let us go to the other side, He can fall asleep because He knows He's going to the other side. But He also knows those going with Him, hallelujah, are going to the other side. But what we do is we look at the storm and we look at the tempest and we look at the wind and the wave and we say, Wake up, Lord! Don't you care that we perish? Oh, God, ye of little faith. Wherefore didst thou that? Why? Because he said, what? We're going to the other side. Now admittedly, Naomi didn't have that kind of statement, but Naomi really could have trusted God's providence more. And you and I as His people, we can do that too. We can know that what God unfolds is going to be for our good and His glory. Why? Because He's given us a promise. Amen? Romans 8.28 is enough, isn't it? And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. And so, Ruth really, now excuse me, Naomi here is speaking in such a way as that she really doesn't understand the hand of the Lord because she said it's gone out against me. But the reality is, it's not gone out against her. It's gone out for her. Because God is at work. Let's follow it through a little bit more in chapter 1 as again we think about that thought of returning to the Redeemer's fold. She had left, but she's headed back home. Well, as she discourages her daughter-in-law from going, Orpah finally leaves, but Ruth speaks those words that had been used in weddings when Terry and I married. Uh, these words of Ruth 1.16 were sung at our wedding. Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. Ruth is here making a confession of faith. Ruth is saying, your God Jehovah, mom-in-law, is my God. And I'm going to follow you. And may Jehovah the Lord, the God that I now serve, the God whom I now worship, may He do so to me if I don't keep my word. 
In other words, I believe this woman, this Moabitish damsel, has experienced conversion by the grace of God. And her life's been changed now. And she's going back to the Redeemer's fold with her mother-in-law. She's going back with Naomi saying, Thy people, my people, thy God, my God. Why? There's only one explanation and that's the sovereign grace of God. God had worked. And so they returned. And as we, we read it there in the words of verse 19, so they too went until they came to Bethlehem and it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi. Naomi means pleasant or sweetness. But call me Mara. That means bitter. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi? Sweetness, pleasantness, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. They've returned to the Redeemer's fold. But that's not the whole story of the book of Ruth. Naomi again, looking at God's providence, doesn't understand. Now I can't fault her, like I said. I'm surely not going to throw rocks at her. She's been through a lot. The death of her husband, the death of her sons. That's a lot. I've not experienced that. Well, I I want one of them for sure, you know. But uh, I haven't experienced the death of a mate, nor have I experienced the death of sons or children. But we've got to learn to trust God through the path of life. Now, if I point one finger at you, I've got three pointing back at myself. Because I haven't finessed that yet. I want to trust Him. But sometimes, I can be as sour as Naomi is here. But the good thing is, she's returning to the believer's fold, to the Redeemer's fold. Now let's follow her as she reaps in the Redeemer's field, or Ruth particularly here. And we find this in verse 1 of chapter 2. Now, And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. His name means, in him is strength. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came in the glean, and, and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And I love the way the Bible puts it here. And her hat was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. Here, the, the, the Hebrews had a custom that God commanded in the law that when you reap your field, you were not to reap the corners of your field. And after you reap, you were not to go back and regather anything that may have been left behind or dropped. That was to be left for the poor so that they could go and do what was called gleaning, gather up the remnants and have it for themselves in their poverty. And if one was a widow particularly, as Naomi and Ruth both were, they would have been among the poorer in society. There would not have been any kind of welfare, any kind of social security, any kind of system. Gleaning, in effect, was God's system. And so Ruth says to her mother-in-law, let me go out and let me glean. And as she does that there, reaping in the fields, she will soon learn she was reaping in the Redeemer's fields. 
And I love again the way verse 3 puts it. Let me, if I may, give you a little bit of a, a change to kind of explain what that her hap was to light is. And I hope this won't sound too extreme. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and as luck would have it, she wound up in the field of Boaz, her kinsman. Now the Bible, I think, is accentuating that by saying her hap was to light. It's kind of like she just happened. Boy, wasn't she lucky. But the Bible's emphasizing something. God's hand of providence was on her, guiding her to the field of Boaz. She didn't go there by luck, by choice, by her own wisdom. She went there by God's sovereign providence. Because brothers and sisters, He's ruling our lives. He's governing our lives. And as she winds up there, Boaz isn't present to start with. He comes on the scene a little later. I love the way he does it. When he comes, as it says in verse 4, he greets his reapers and says, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Wouldn't that be a great way for employer and employees to work? Can you imagine going into the factory? God bless you. The Lord be with you too, brother. Have a great day. Well, that's in effect what was happening. Here's a godly man in Israel. This is in the midst of the judges where there was so much wickedness that abounded in that day. In the midst of all the ungodliness that marks the book of Judges. In those days when the judges ruled, in those days there are men like Boaz still standing for God. And brothers and sisters, I say to you, in the midst of our day where there is so much that's going on, so much negative, so much that would make us get down, so much that would discourage us and leave us depressed, Let's not get that way. Let's remember who's on the throne. Let's not lose sight of the fact that our God still reigns. And let's, by His grace, be what we've been called to be in this world right now. Salt and light for the glory of God. Now, I'm preaching to myself too, but allow me to do that if you will. I want to encourage you, but I need to pre-preach too. No, I need to not lose my savor. Brother Junior and I are talking about that. Last evening, I believe it was. The salt losing its savor. He said, what was it, Brother Junior? Y'all put the salt out to uh, get those good... I shouldn't say this. Y'all going to get hungry and leave my message. Y'all salt down those country hams, right, Brother? And after they'd salted those hams, they'd take that salt and throw it out in the driveway to kill the grass because it wasn't good for much else. That's exactly what the Lord Jesus said about that salt that's lost its savor, right? Nothing but good for the dunghill. We don't want to lose our savor, brothers and sisters. There's enough in this world that would try to get us to. But we've got to be faithful Keep our eyes on the King. By His grace, trust Him. Believe in Him. He's our sovereign ruler. And because He's sovereign ruler, we can know He's working out His purpose and He's absolutely trustworthy. He's never failed. He's always faithful. He can do anything but fail, as the song says. That's our God. And right here, He's working on behalf of Ruth. He's going to line her up in the fields of the one who is her redeemer. Boaz, in him is strength. 
Let's read on if we may. Boaz notices her and asks, who is she? And they explain to him in verse 6 that this is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi. And they tell about how hard she's been working. So then he addresses her in verse 8. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, but go thou after them. Have not I, char- have I not charged thee? young men that they shall not touch thee and when thou art athirst go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men had drawn here she's caught the eye of Boaz and Boaz is going to look after Boaz is going to make sure that she can glean in his fields wherever the young men go to harvest she's welcome to come and glean but not only that he's going to tell his young men you don't bother her and you drop some you drop some handfuls of purpose for her. And when she gleans, you just let her glean among the shocks, okay? You you let her you let her do. Brothers and sisters, I tell you it's a good picture of what my kinsman Redeemer did for me before I knew him. Before he had by grace become my Redeemer. When I was lost and living like a hellion, living like somebody who was doomed and damned. Living like I didn't care there was a God in this world. He was watching out for me. He was dropping handfuls of purpose for me. I can't explain to you why He did it. Cause, but He did it because His purpose to do it. In mercy, He, he blessed me. I can remember. Let me share a quick story about it. Fort Bragg Road in Fayetteville where I grew up. My, boy, my, my friends and I, not my boys, you know, they, they talk it that way now, right? My homeboys, right? But my, my friends and I had gone up on our 10 speeds to AJ's pretzel hut there in the parking lot of a strip mall in uh, Fayetteville on Fort Bragg Road. We got our pretzels. They took off and I was behind. And so I just ran out into Fort Bragg Road on my bike to catch up with them. I didn't see the car that was coming straight toward me. That car threw on brakes and fishtailed and all it did was bump my handlebars. There was later a Christian bookstore put there. After the Lord saved me, I went there and while I was in there one afternoon, a young lady, Jill Dykstra, was crossing that same road and got struck on her bicycle. I don't know what happened to her fully, but I know she was lying in the road. That could have been me. I hope God preserved her, but I know this, He did preserve me. Handfuls of purpose. I wasn't doing His will when I was running with my friends to A.J.'s Pretzel Hut. I was doing anything but His will. But a a kind providence was looking over my life. A kind providence was leading me to the day. And it wasn't long, it was September of that year, the Lord saved me. God's mercy dropping handfuls of purpose for me. I was reaping in the Redeemer's fields and I didn't even know He was my Redeemer. But grace was going to introduce me to Him. And that, brothers and sisters, is what we see in chapter 2. So it is that Boaz is very kind to Ruth and he makes provision for her and she finds favor in his sight. And when she gets home that afternoon with her... uh, it wouldn't have been lunch pail. It'd been more like a veil that a woman would have wore. She is toting some major grain. 
And Naomi is so overwhelmed, she said, where did you reap today? God bless him. Who took notice of you? She knew she couldn't have reaped that much on her own. But God had done it for her. And she says, Boaz, and she says, why, he's a near kinsman. What's happening? God's at work. God's making things intersect. God's doing what He alone can do. I've heard so many stories of it in my life. Just give you one real quick. There's a brother for in the church for which we preach down in Buis Creek, North Carolina. Uh, Bible Baptist Church there where Campbell University is now located. He had to change doctors and he didn't like it. But when he did, the doctor said, I want you to have a heart exam. He did. And they found out he had what was called the Widowmaker. So they went in with catheterization and corrected it through his hip. While he was in there in the, in the recovery room after the catheterization, one of the technicians said, Sir, I'd hate for us to save you from the Widowmaker and a melanoma get you. He said, I noticed on your hip where we made the incision, it looks like you got a melanoma. You need to check that out. He was groggy, but as soon as he could, when he got out of recovery, he told his wife, make sure that we have this checked out. He couldn't remember much else, but God let him remember that. They found out his melanoma. They caught it in time. Now that's a physical story of God's providence. But brothers and sisters, God has done it countless times for His people. Made a way when it looked like there was no way. Why? Because He is the God whose providence governs and superintends our lives. And that's why we can know that all things work together for good to them that love God. It's not always physical. Sometimes it's spiritual. Sometimes it's being in the right place at the right time and meeting somebody you wouldn't have met. And out of that, God brings great blessing. There's so many ways that God orchestrates it. I'm glad that He's the superintendent, aren't you? I'm glad He's the sovereign one. He controls and governs. Well, as she tells her mother-in-law who this man is, we've come to chapter 3 and we find this time Ruth resting at the Redeemer's feet. Look with me, if you will, at chapter 3, verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? And now is not Boaz of our kindred, with whose maidens thou wast? Behold, he winneth barley tonight in the threshing floor. Wash thyself, therefore, and anoint thee, and put thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor, but make not thyself known unto the man until he shall have done eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lieth down that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie, and thou shalt go in and cover his feet, and lay thee down, and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. She obeys. She goes into the threshing floor. She's very reserved though. Marks where he lays down. After they threshed, and you know, wheat threshing is still big in some places in our country. They have these threshings and I mean they'll have, it's like a party time. It's a festive spirit. Maybe get out of the way in some cases. In some cases it may not. But that's what's going on here. It's, it's high time. The harvest has come in. Time to celebrate. And they're threshing. 
she goes up while Boaz is taking his place, sleeping there in the threshing floor. She uncovers his feet, and he turns over at one point in his sleep and is startled because somebody's at his feet. He says, who are you? She says, Ruth, what should I do? And he says, God bless you. You haven't run after the young men, rich or poor. You've given yourself over that I might, but I've got to take care of some business before. Brothers and sisters, when I read this, I can't help but there's an illustration here of conversion. The Spirit of the living God telling us as sinners what we need to do. You know the best thing that a sinner can do is lay himself at the feet of the Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's really there's really nothing else we can do. That, brothers and sisters, is what God brings sinners to do by His grace. To lay down at the feet of Christ. I love those scenes in the Bible like we read today with that woman in Luke 7. Where was she? At His feet. Where do we find Mary? I think we talked about this one Sunday night sometime back. Mary, the sister of Lazarus, seemed like every time she turns up, she's at His feet. At His feet, a place of submission. At His feet, a place of surrender. At His feet, a place of solace. We find in Him everything our soul needs. And that's where Ruth is led. To rest at the Redeemer's feet. That's what Naomi said. I want to seek rest for you, verse 1. And the only place that a soul, a sinful soul, will find rest is at the feet of Jesus. Won't find it anywhere else. But thank God it's found there. She presses her suit and finds peace and rest in her kinsman Redeemer. Now, if you will, she returns to Naomi, tells what's happened, and this is what Naomi says at the end of the chapter, verse 18 of chapter 3. Then said she, Sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall, for the man will not be in rest until he have finished the thing this day. And that's where we come to chapter 4, and we find Naomi, excuse me, Ruth, registered in the Redeemer's family. What happens is, that man Boaz is the near of kin, and as such, he has the right to redeem the property of Naomi, or of her husband Elimelech, and their sons, Malin and Killian. He has the right to redeem the property. But, because Ruth had no children, he also would have to provide an heir for the deceased Malin. It's called Levirate marriage in the Scriptures. And we read about it. Some of you will remember it from that stupid question the Sadducees asked the Lord Jesus in Matthew. It's found in Mark as well. You remember? They said there was a man, seven brothers, and there was a man who took a wife, and his wife died. He had no children. And so she went to the next one. And on through the seven, none of them had her. Who shall she be in the resurrection? They thought they had the Lord Jesus, you know. Somebody said, you know, the Sadducees, they believed in neither spirit nor angel nor resurrection. They were Sadducees. <laughs> and that's right. Because they didn't believe, if you don't believe in those things, there's only one thing to be, and that's sad. Because if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all men most miserable. But they believe. They got it. He can't get out of this one. He said, you do greatly err, not knowing the Scriptures nor the power of God. And he answered them. 
pointed them to how in the resurrection there no longer need for procreation because we're like the angels, immortal in our physical state as well as in our soulish state. But also he said, by the way, that there is life after death. Have you not heard what God said in the bush to Moses? I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All three of them were dead. But he didn't say I was the God. He said I am the God. And he answered their foolishness. Well, brothers and sisters, that matter of redemption, that matter of of, uh, this Redeemer that we read about here is seen in what is found here with uh, this Levirate marriage institution. The near of kin was to redeem. He was to act on behalf of the family too, but he was to redeem. And that's what Boaz wants to do. But Boaz has one thing he has to deal with. He knew of a man who was nearer of kin to Naomi and Elimelech than he was. And he had to check with him first. So that's what he does. He orchestrates a meeting in the gate, which would be like a court gathering. He says, Ho, turn aside to the friend, to the man who's the uh, nearer kinsman. And then he gets together the elders, ten of them, says, Let's have a meeting. Ruth is, I mean, Naomi's advertised she's going to sell a piece of property. You want to buy it? Yeah, I'll buy it. Now, the time you buy it, you're also going to have to take Ruth to be his wife, to be your wife. Can't do it. I'll mar my inheritance. Some of those who believe the picture of Christ here, they believe that that nearer kinsman's a good picture of the law. Now, I don't know if that's altogether right, but I don't mind it. Because you see, the law couldn't redeem us. It was unable to. But what the law could not do, God sent His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, Romans 8, 3 and 4 says, that the righteous as the law might be Uh, shown in us now God did it and as that happened this man Naomi was able to say I'll take her and boy he didn't waste any time either Uh, I knew a man that lived up Pagetown Road he said he met his wife two weeks before he married her (laughs) but he was satisfied he wanted to marry and it worked because as far as I know they spent 50 or 60 70 years together so it must have worked. Well, for Boaz, he was satisfied too. She's the one. And he took her. And as he did that, again, this Moabitish damsel should not enter the congregation of the Lord to the tenth generation. She is registered in the Redeemer's family. She is enrolled in the family through which King David will come, but not only that, through which the Lord Jesus will come. And that's why we give you the title, The King is Coming. Who'd have thought? And let's go back to Naomi's words. It grieves me that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. But notice what the women say to her when she has this, uh, when Ruth has a child. The women say this to Naomi in 4.14 of Ruth, 
And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in, the, in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law which loveth thee, which is better than to thee than seven sons hath borne him. How about that? That's quite a reversal from what she was saying back in chapter 1, isn't it? And sometimes, again, you and I tend to look at God's providence toward us and we think, but brothers and sisters, if we look at it rightly, we'll be saying, or to use the way some of the young people do it, yes! Because God's at work. And He's at work for His glory. But because He's at work for His glory, He's also at work for the good of His people. And here's the thing you and I can do. We can take it to the bank. We can count on it. I can rest here. There's no rest in this world much at all, but there's rest here. Child of God, you can rest here. But again, it's found by resting at His feet and trusting Him, believing Him, and counting on Him, and knowing that His promise is firm and sure and faithful. As we experience that, we can have peace. But let's just end the book by uh, reading. We stopped at verse 15. Let's just read verses 16 and following here. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became nursing to it. And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. It means worker or laborer. Uh, Brother Basham and I heard Brother... Tom Hayes one time up at Shining Light Baptist Church, Squire Parsons was singing and Tom Hayes was preaching. You can't get much better than that. But uh, Brother Hayes preached from from the Ruth four about Obed worship, and he is a good message. He prayed, kind of figurized it, I guess you'd call it figuratized it. I don't know what word I'm trying to say. Some of y'all figure it out, okay? Figuratized it, okay? But he it was a good message. Take my word for it. Obed, worker, servant. But not only that, he is the father, notice, of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez was one of the sons of Judah. Perez begat Hezron, and Hezron begat Ram, and Ram begat Amminadab, and Medit, Medit, uh, excuse me, and Amminadab begat Nashon, and Nashon begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz, and Boaz begat Obed, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David, and David begat the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's the shortened version of Matthew 1, but that's what you find. Through this woman, came our Lord. In other words, God in His providence in what seemed like irreversible bad times, God brought her in to the lineage of His Son humanly after the flesh. Can we trust Him? Yes, we can trust Him. Can we believe Him? Yes, we can believe Him. Can we know that He's able to work all things for good in our lives? Yes, we can. May God grant us to do that then, brothers and sisters. May we realize how absolutely trustworthy He is. And may we, 
as they said about our Savior of the Gospels, when they looked at His miracles, they said, He hath done all things well. May you and I look at Him and say, He's done all things well. Amen. Yes, Brother Glenn. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. But uh, can you imagine the joy that uh, Naomi might have had when she died and glorified went to heaven? And she saw after her death that she was, that Ruth was in the the lineage of the Lord. I hadn't thought of that, brother, but I'm sure glad you mentioned it. And you think about later when he came back to heaven after his ascension to being born of that virgin womb and died. And there's Naomi. And she knows that's her great, 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 great <laughs> grandson. Thank you, brother, for sharing that. That's a blessed thing to consider. And you and I who by faith trust him, we know him as well. May that be a reality for every one of us. Thank you, brother. Amen.